0: Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Conspire a Theory. I have with me Stefan. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on the show tonight.
0: It's good to hear from you. Um, I've run into you quite a few times at the MUFON meetings. I think you've, you're pretty much heading it up there now. Uh, go ahead and explain who you are and what is it that you do to, in relation to MUFON.
1: Okay. Um, I am Stefan Edwards and I, uh, grew up here in San Antonio. Uh-huh. After, uh huh. After graduating from Judson High School, I went ahead and joined the Air Force. Didn't waste any time. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I spent about 20 years doing uh, work with the U.S. Air Force around the globe. Just about any crazy thing you can think of, I was probably a part of it. Oh, no,
0: that sounds fun. <laughs> um,
1: afterwards, um, I realized I wasn't going to get anywhere else, uh, despite my uh, education experience while I was in the Air Force. This was time to uh, cut the cord and uh, move up. So at that point, I was asked to join a few companies um, that were uh, one in particular that was owned by a friend of mine that used to fly with in the Air Force uh, in special operations. And, um, he would get work from the government, uh, mm-hmm. under contract. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we started off uh, flying with him, uh, up in, uh, Oklahoma City. I did work with another company in Saudi Arabia, um, uh, teaching the uh, Saudi pilots how to fly, land the airplanes, not crash them the buildings.
0: When you were in Saudi Arabia, did you find any giants in caves? Cause I hear they have red-headed giants up in there.
1: Um, the red-headed giants aren't just there. They're everywhere.
0: Oh, crap. I was hoping you'd give me a funny answer and say, there's no such thing as redheaded giants. Ha, ha, ha. No. That no. totally went the wrong way. I thought it would. Thank you for that.
1: No, actually, uh, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a very open mind when it comes to things. I've been studying this kind of stuff since I was a kid. Hmm. Um, when I went to uh, Oak Elementary, we had a fantastic selection of books in the library that covered all of the obscure stuff mm-hmm. that people didn't want to talk about. So at a very early age, uh, myself and quite a few others actually really got into these obscure topics. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, the Loch Ness, the Bigfoot, you know, all the classics. Yeah, yeah,
0: all that stuff was, was quite, quite, quite a thing. It's, even today we're still getting into digging those subjects.
1: Yes. And I, I see a lot more information coming as we get further down the road. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see disclosure, not just in UFOs, but I think we're going to see disclosure in other things and they're going to be connected, part and parcel.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk particularly about the disclosure in the UFOs, and I'm sure that that will have a domino effect into other strange things.
1: It will, undoubtedly,
0: from what I'm starting to see. Hmm. Give us the bare the bare basics, like introduce us to disclosure, what it is, what it isn't, what
1: people expect from it. All right. Disclosure itself is generally regarded as the process by which the government begins to reveal um, the alien presence here on this planet mm-hmm. and how it uh, works with us or interacts with us. Uh, that's been a process that's been going, ongoing for a very, very long time. Um, if you follow uh, ancient scripture, the Mahabharata, some of the uh, the Vedas, the uh, Indian writings, mm-hmm. if you follow actually pretty much any ancient uh, civilization writing, there's always an indication of a visitor of some kind. Mm-hmm. But as it applies to us now, I would say sometime around the Eisenhower years, probably maybe a decade or two prior to that, it was when they made their first real contact with us.
0: Yeah, I guess when, uh as we know it, Western civilization, American Western civilization, first got involved.
1: Right. That's correct. Okay. Um, now, you'll hear things like, well, the the Nazis will work with them. And that may be true. They may hmm. have been working with one particular species. Hmm. But um, I don't want to delve too far into that one and stay more focused on just what the U.S.'s part in this was.
0: That's fine. We can come to that subject later. The, um, now, with the dealings with Eisenhower, now, before then— was it sort of like an off the cuffs, off the record? Cause I, I did some, uh, Noe Torres was doing some research where he recorded like that there were accounts of airships in the, in the United States or what would have been the United States since 1800s. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So does any of that tie into, uh, disclosure or is that just
1: a coincidence? Um, at, at the end of the day, it, it will be all part of disclosure because people are going to want to know how far back did the government know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure how long it's going to be before the government is going to be willing to admit just how extensive these contacts or knowing, uh, this information went. Um, I think the best we're going to get at the earliest is going to be with the, uh, the Eisenhower years.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I guess that's the, the best that we can go so far.
1: <laughs> right.
0: The, um, now with, with the Eisenhower, the hubbub is, is that Eisenhower, when he was having a tooth removed or something like that, he was gone for like however many minutes or like an, however many hours. And during that day, from what I've heard, he had an he like met with aliens or something of that nature. Is that an old wives tale or is there <clears throat> something to that? I think the dental procedure
1: uh, was probably just a cover to buy him time to do whatever it was he was going to do.
0: Yeah.
1: In this case, um, from from what I've been getting from the people uh, that I work with, was that there was, in fact, a meeting and he was asked to invite uh, he was invited to the meeting and that he was told that he would be meeting with somebody that was not of this earth. And so um, he went to the meeting, had the conversation, and they were um, basically working out an arrangement on how they would um, get access to humans, Americans, mm-hmm. and in return they would give us um, technology.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think we've all heard of this deal before, and a lot of people would argue that we got the bum end of the deal.
1: Well, unfortunately, we don't really know the truth on that hmm. one. Um, when you see the bumming of the deal, it depends on the perspective of uh, if you're the government or if you're the taxpayer. In this case, if you're the government, you got all this information like um, uh, dynamic alloys or exotic alloys and exotic engine propulsion technology, anti-grav, mm-hmm. uh, medicine that can save pretty much everybody from a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that data was supposedly given to us and for whatever reason never made it past that checkpoint. Mm-hmm. So in that case, we got screwed by our own people. Mm-hmm. Again, that's under the assumption that the aliens gave us everything that they said they were going to give us. Hmm. But again, without having full access, full disclosure, we're never going to know that fact. Hmm. Now, the
0: the aliens. How do we know specifically? Like when they say "not of that, not of this world," what does that mean
1: specifically? Does that mean interplanetary, interdimensional? Um, does that? What? It could be one of many things. Um, roughly, there's thirty some odd different species out there, and from what I've been reading from many different venues, is some of these are transdimensional creatures. And some of these are just interstellar creatures. Mm. Um, some may be misleading us and they could be from one place or at one time when a factor from someplace else. Remember, you know, just like humans, you know, there are people out there willing to lie for whatever their mm-hmm. their motivations are.
0: Yeah, a a pattern I've noticed in the lore is that the more we learn about the natural world, the further away the aliens are coming from. At one time they were from Venus, and now they're from, you know, um beyond the stars and now they're from the dimension, pocket dimension over. So I right. noticed that pattern from Based upon what the contactees have been told. Yes. So it, it's, that, that is disconcerting. Now with, with, uh, disclosure, what, what is it not as far as like, cause when I hear the term disclosure, what I'm thinking is that all of the UFO charlatans out there, all of the people like, uh, yeah. the Stan Romanex are gonna point out there and say, you know, see, I told you I was right, you know, and, and every single person out there with a crazy abduction account, true or not, is going to have this seal of approval, this golden seal of approval from the government that says, you know, stamped like, yep, I was telling the truth all the time. I was right. Therefore, I should get money and women and power and all this and and all this nonsense.
1: Unfortunately, that could be further from the truth. (laughs) Um, Again, you have to be in a position of some sort of power leadership before you can actually maximize that or... You have to be very talented in utilizing the media in order to profit from your encounter. Hmm. But that also goes in with, you have to validate that what you say happened really did happen. And if there's no proof of it, you're just like every other schmuck pretending that you saw something.
0: Yeah, but I, I still worry though that just a, a disclosure is going to be for some people a green light to, to just go all out. And, and I, I. Oh yeah, yeah. That,
1: that's going to come. And, and what I saw was, as I was doing my own research on um another project that I was doing for MUFON is I realized that there's going to be a group of individuals that are going to create churches, they're going to create power blocks out of pretending to have this repu- uh, relationship with alien species. Yeah. And that could be problematic depending on which direction these guys go and who they're working with. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I can understand that. Let's take a few steps further into Disclosure. And into the, um, I guess one of the tests I, you made reference to, that there was a few tests, like the 1950s B-movies, the War of the Worlds broadcast, and I kind of have issue with that. I, I kind of have issue with the War of the Worlds broadcast. I think it's one of those things where, where we probably make it a bigger deal than it is, but before I get into that, can you uh, lay down the bare bones about what,
1: what it is that you feel that brings into the disclosure conversation? I think we're both in agreement that the government has known about UFOs long before the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and a lot of newspaper articles that you'll find from the Old West, or even not just the Old West, but in the regular parts of America, um, making it very clear that there had been visitations by creatures not of this planet or not of this dimension. So we've established that this has been an ongoing phenomenon, again, long before the Eisenhower years. Yeah. So that does take place prior to World, uh, the War of the Worlds. So at some point, there has to be a a dialogue between them and us, and whatever that dialogue encompassed, we don't know, but clearly there's some sort of a timeline. Hmm. At least that's what I'm gathering. There's a clock ticking. Okay. And so they have to figure out where are we in our maturity as a human species in a race Hmm. and what we are ready for, what we are capable of handling. Hmm. And in this case, it seems like they kind of put the ball in our court and said, okay, you know, you're know, you going to feed your people what you think they can handle. But in order for them to be able to do that, they have to gauge where we are mentally and psychologically and socially dealing with something that would be considered so out of this world. No hmm. pun intended. <laughs> so hence the tests. Yeah. Um, so there is a possibility that the world of worlds could have been a test. I'm not saying it was, but I'm saying there is a strong possibility that it could have been. Hmm. And you saw the reactions of the people, and, and it was just a simple radio broadcast. They went nuts. Well, that's where my problem is, is that, as far as the
0: reaction, can that, can what we're told, can that, can that be trusted? I'm, I'm questioning the narrative. Because the more I learn about media, not just social media today, but Media back in the days, I mean, from the Citizen Kane, you know, you heard of the story where the guy, in order to get a new story, he paid some guy to jump off a bridge so he could do a story about someone jumping off of a bridge. I've seen that in the past, media has been at war with new media. And every single time new media comes out, the old media tries to, tries to put up tries to do gatekeeping i mean during during the 1980s when video games first came out television lost its shit it tried so hard to to push out this propaganda that video games rot your brain video games do that on an episode of taxi one of the the characters got addicted to video games that he couldn't do his job and that was a way of television saying you know don't play video games because when people play video games they're not watching television and by that same merit when people are listening to radio it's believed they're not reading the newspaper, so the, what my argument is then, is that what we know of the, of the, uh, outburst, of the outrage, is from newspapers, somewhat. And it's the newspapers telling us that there was this outrage, and I do kind of have to, from what I've, from what I've told you, I do, it is, I find it reasonable to question that reaction. I'm, um, you know, I'm not trying to butt heads. Right. It's just a thing that, It's one more complication I felt that is thrown into an already complicated mess is that can the media of of the perception of of what we've dug up, can that be trusted even?
1: All right. We'll start with the media itself. The media is just like any other business, Mm -hmm. whether it's coal or oil or steel. They're going to try to maintain a monopoly over that power and over that money that they get, that revenue stream. Yeah. So that holds true with any business. So I'm not going to hold that against them. They're just doing what they will naturally do. Understood. But now it gets into who's motivating uh, these things into what direction and why. Okay. That's the key. Right. Who profits from controlling the narrative? It's out there, great, but now who profits from it? And that depends on how that narrative is guided. So now we have to find out who's behind the scenes that's actually pulling the strings, who really controls the media companies. And we've learned over time that these media companies aren't as, uh oh, forgot the right word, but they're controlled by outside interests. I mean, that <laughs> should be pretty obvious by yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they've got an agenda and they've got the pop- pocketbook, or access to information that they're willing to give to the media in exchange for their cooperation on other areas, then they'll get that, and that keeps that media platform strong. Mm -hmm. So if they go to you and say, hey, I know you want to really dig into this UFO thing, but you're going to help me out, and you're going to downplay this UFO thing, and you're going to make these all these people look like quacks. Hmm. In return, I'm going to give you frontline access to the next war. I'll embed your reporters at this location. I'll do this. I'll do that but you'll be first lead on all the other stuff. But you yeah, have to cooperate with us and downplay the UFO thing. And that was all part of the making people that were involved in it look like coos, conspiracies, theorists and things like that.
0: Yeah, I think that was in with, uh, was it Bill Cooper? And uh, I think Richard Doty was involved with that.
1: Uh, that may have one been of, the case. One of the many people. Yeah, there, there's many, many yeah, people. It's not many, just many, one, or, uh, one or two people that's, involved in this. that's just an example of what you're talking about. So, and it kind of bit them because they were so good at this dis- and disinformation program. That now that we're at the point where the groups, again, there's multiple groups vying for power within the UFO community at the top, top levels that have access. Mm -hmm. And there's still some of them that are, that don't want to let go for whatever motivation. But there's a larger group that now seems to be winning and saying, look, it's time we're moving forward with or without you. We're going. And so keeping in that mind, there's that, there's that struggle that's, that's holding this up. And with the, with the, the war
0: of the worlds and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess it was probably like, uh, probably a test of the reaction yeah but then i've heard that there were you know so many factors into that as to why it happened i think one of it was also was a scheduling thing where a lot of people were coming into the middle of a of a broadcast on another on another show had ended and by the time they clicked over they were in the middle of the broadcast
1: and of, not realizing it was a broadcast Not realizing that right it was a broadcast but again the the results were or what the results were yeah yeah you know and so that was enough it didn't yeah. matter that they announced it was a show or not. The fact that people dialed in after the show started and heard it thinking it was for real and the way they reacted, that was enough in the mm-hmm. minds of the people that were observing what took place. Mm-hmm. And so now you go beyond that show and you go into the the, the fit 1950s um, waves of UFO sightings, or they mm-hmm. call them flaps, yeah. um, and the things that came out about that. And it would interview people on what they would think. Um, and then you start getting into those B movies that came out. And all it really seemed to do is actually make things worse and make things better because now everything that came from another planet was a giant monster of some kind.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that like, I, I miss those monsters. I miss those giant monsters.
1: I growing up as a kid in the 1970s watching that, yeah.
0: I'm tired of the gentrification of the Grays, or as I call it the gentrification. I'm tired of that. When you say gentrification, Gration.
1: Okay, the grays themselves? Yeah.
0: Okay. They're they're gentrifying the narrative because it seems as though from what i've heard from contactees and experiencers, it sounds as if the greys are sort of a drone group that every single species has their own subset of it that
1: they just buy them like a like a kit they're like a commodity they're yeah. like a bunch of ants you go buy yeah. an ant kit that's kind of what the in all the different literature that i've read all the people i've talked to the greys are really just a clones or they could be like the the paid slaves of the universe
0: yeah yeah just and like, everybody seems to have some Yeah, just like little pocket creatures that they pop up that they do to have all their dirty work, I guess, Um, because they
1: don't use the big, cool robots anymore. That's why I want to come back. Right. And what's interesting with all this with the Grays, though, is, you know, they refer to as ants or drones or whatnot. But at the same time, when you look at some of the literature that's out there, some of the stories that are out there, it indicates that they do have a level of emotional intelligence. And they do recognize that they may be causing discomfort or pain to a abductee. But there's nothing they can do about it. They have to do their job, mm-hmm. period. There's uh, and and there was a, that incident that was talked about um, a couple of weeks ago or two months ago, when they talked about where it looks like that gray group broke away from whoever they were working for, and purposely crash landed on the earth to get away from whoever their masters were.
0: What what incident are you referring to?
1: Uh, that was the one where they um, uh, an Indian tribe had talked about befriending the grays. Okay. Uh, that was discussed about at the, uh, MUFON meeting two months ago, I believe.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, just so the listeners have a frame of reference. Okay. Is there something that you can point to so they can look it up?
1: Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> it's just that there was an encounter with the Indians and apparently there's a lot of them. You can probably Google it. And now, when you it. say Indians, do you mean Native Americans yes. or Native India? Native Americans. Okay. Right. So yeah, you got to be clear about that. Uh, not a problem. Um, except with America at the time, there wasn't all a whole lot of people here. You know, I know there's a lot of discussion of these grandiose Indian nations and whatnot, but at the end of the day, there really wasn't. And so I think it was easier for the UFO or aliens to come here and be at peace, so to speak, and do their quiet observations versus other places. Mm. There was more room to maneuver without interference.
0: Another thing that I noticed was an escalation in, in the sampling of the the aliens. As more we hear about the accounts, the more they're of what they sample and stuff like that. Because before, people would adver- observe them you know, they'd come down, they'd land, they'd take soil samples, and then they'd run off. And then, you know, as the phenomenon got closer and closer, instead they started sampling from, you know, plants and trees to people. And now it seems as though they're coming into people's souls and trying to, you know, take their souls or
1: someone like that. Right. And that's, yeah. I think, at that point when you start talking souls, we may be crossing a line. I've been hesitant about getting too far down that rabbit hole when we start dealing with souls because yeah, that ends understand. up in a different realm. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it on one track. And if it does, we do have definitive proof that, OK, there is a, a, a spiritual element involved. then by all means, we'll go after it. But for now, we don't want to go there yet because there's not enough proof of that. What I hear one
0: thing that I hear that sort of irks me a bit. I don't I don't know how to take this is that there is people tell me that there's a subsect in the government that's super ultra conservative that thinks that aliens are demons and devils and and anything UFO related, they want it squashed. I, I have a very hard time putting any of my personal merit behind that as far as as acceptable, but I keep hearing that brought up by various people as an excuse as to why, you know, there there seems to be this apprehensive relationship about disclosure
1: and, you know, letting the cards fall.
0: What, what is your impression?
1: If I'm going to be an ultra-religious conservative guy that's hidden within the government dealing with this particular topic, I'm going to want to learn as much about it as I can. And I do know that the more you hide things in the shadows, the more you allow those bad things to propagate in the shadows. But if you bring it out, it gets harder to hide that stuff. Hmm. So if if there was a demon thing, then, hey, let's get it right out in the open and call the spade a spade. Yeah. But that hasn't happened.
0: Well – there is, like, uh, I gotta bring up the satanic panic of the 80s. I think that was a sort of an overclocked, overcreate, overcorrection of the government trying to, you know, squash Satan, Satan, satanic, whatever it is, and, and unwittingly causing a panic, you know, sort of, sort of thing. I, I think that's an, I mean, that's a different type of an example, but I think it's somewhat in the same vein of, of rampant overcorrection. From, from
1: the government. And are you, you're applying this to the uh, religious minority within that group that's controlling information?
0: Yeah, as, as far as using, you know, uh, media and stuff as a tool that, that's why I don't think there really isn't much there as far as that excuse. Because, you know, from what we've seen at the satanic panic, you know, we should see a similar outrage or panic, you know, in the UFO community. I know there are individuals who are pushing that. But I don't know that it's anything, you know, it's it's nothing like officially backed by the government. Well, of, of course, because then they would have to <laughs> acknowledge that the aliens.
1: Okay. Well, are in this thing. case with the satanic panic, you're talking about a, a, an issue that was in your face. Mm-hmm. It was all these young kids and then, particularly in the years that I was growing up in high school where you had groups like Metallica and yeah, Iron Maiden yeah. and Accept and, and these were considered satanic bands, even though most of them were just show bands. They weren't satanic at all. Yeah. Yeah. But you have this group of religious leaders. You remember you had the bakers and you had all those other, uh-huh. uh, you know, megachurch type individuals. Yeah. And they have to have the boogeyman. They've yeah. always got to have a demon. Yeah, and so by flames, having that, yeah. that was perfect. And they could use that. And like you said, fan the flames. But in this case, we're talking about something entirely different.
0: Okay. Right. I just thought that there was sort of a method there. And I, and I wonder if it's something that a method that could be applied
1: The the satanic panic thing was more of a brute force kind of deal versus Mm. the alien thing is a little bit more – requires more subtlety.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll we'll take that then. Can we go ahead and step into Close Encounters and the E.T. and and the modern, I guess, push during the 80s to sort of push this sort of um, friendly alien presence type of thing to sort of sugarcoat it in the
1: means? Right. I think they realized that they'd gotten to a point where, okay, we've gone as far as we can on the negative side. So now that we've got control of this narrative and we've neutered groups like MUFON, let's take advantage of the narrative that we can control and we have control of Hollywood and we're going to start spoon feeding these guys information. Not a lot, but enough to get them going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, we can slowly educate the American public and not just the American public, but the globe in general, because they watch everything we produce. Yeah. And by doing so, you can start to control how they feel or how they think about visitations from another alien species hmm. so et for example from steven spielberg was designed to create they're not such bad guys after all hmm. and that goes along with their encounters um, you know we go up there we meet them they turn out to be really happy people and it's all good and everybody shakes hands and they do you know human alien exchanges yeah, yeah again they were controlling that narrative to say okay let's let's see how the american people feel about this and then they'll do whatever the test was <laughs> uh, whatever that test was at that time i don't know but Again, they keep testing us every so many years to find out where we're at mm. uh, as far as to be able to handle a revelation of some kind mm-hmm. or how much more information can they give us before they know they need to slow down that that we can absorb. Yeah, and I know that people
0: with Close Encounters, they like to throw an extra merit on there because uh, J.L.N. Heinick was, you know, in the background for two seconds. Right. So therefore, that val- validates. Validated, that. yep. It validated that, of course. Of course. And, and you know, I – and now there's a new show with J. Allen Heinegger where he is the basis of it. And
1: yes, yeah, what, what do you, have you had a chance to watch that? Have, i just got some bits and pieces, but I've been so busy doing research uh, with my new job and uh, a lot of other things that I haven't really um, been able to dig into the show. I hear it's very popular. Hmm. Yeah. I I hear it's pretty good too. Um,
0: I'll, I'll eventually get around to it. You know, I love that fifties aesthetic. It reminds yes. me of, you know, uh, you know, this video game I used to play as a kid. Um, Xcom it, they had a, a campaign that was based in the 50s and you know that's kind of what I'm what I'm hoping to go for though I know it's probably not going to be that right but it's sort of a, a I kind of like I think I would dig it. what I what I hear when I hear people trying to um, use Heine as sort of a, a talking board for themselves to sort of be like like oh how dare they do this to his legacy and all this stuff and what I hear, is more of you know, oh, it should have been me. You know, they should have come to me, or, or what about me isms?
1: Right. Yeah. And, and you're always going to have that, no yeah. matter what the topic is. You're always going to have people yeah. that think they're
0: better than somebody else. Yeah, it 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 just always like kind of rubs me the wrong way, and I, and I'm like, you know, it's it's like his son. Cash the check so that makes it okay that makes it perfectly acceptable you know and besides jay helen hynek as i heard he used to collect cartoons of himself you know of people making fun of him right and he loved that stuff so i'm pretty sure he would be in good humors with it but i just wanted to throw that out there okay now getting more into the the steelberg thing i think there was a, a uh, there was like a conversation on larry king that you had brought up uh can you go into more than that? It was uh, 94. Yeah, well, 90,
1: uh, 1994, in know Larry King live. Um, there was a lot of discussions on UFOs and they were like convinced disclosure was coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Spielberg was a big part of this. I mean, he'd been talking about it. Him and uh, King were buddies. They talked all the time. And it wasn't just those guys, but it was a few other folks that were involved as well. But again, it, it really felt like, OK, the Clintons were in power and, and things are being done and we're we're doing a lot of good, humane works around the world. And now let's see if we can get this thing out. They honestly thought they had a chance of getting the military to disclose, mm-hmm. yeah. but those powers decided otherwise. And so what that just proved was president after president after president, many of them will promise, hey, we're going to get disclosure. We're going to open this thing up for you guys once I get in. But then they get that briefing, and you see them when they walk out of that briefing, when they mm-hmm. tell them everything going on with defense. And their the look on their face is different mm-hmm. when they come out of that meeting, when they realize just how serious things really are. Mm-hmm. And then they are also basically told, you're going to go pound sand because you're not going to hear anything. And this is why you're not going to hear anything. Yeah, I remember, I think it was Jimmy Carter tried to get something done. But right. at the
0: time, he was blocked by who was H.W. Uh, Bush at the time. Right. Uh, he had, you know, gave him the old you don't need to know type of thing. And after him, I think Clinton, he was, you know, despite all his faults, he was very adamant about the – UFO uh, knowledge and stuff like that. He was very adamant about that.
1: My warning to the audience is no matter which president it is that promises you that he's going to pull the veil away, don't go for it. Hmm. Because the president has no dog in that hunt. At the end of the day, it's going to be that small group of individuals that controls that information.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I noticed that Larry King was very um, open about his about having people, he's had Travis Walton on his show and other, you know, discussing this topic very openly. I mean, yes, even, all the time. Uh, and I think during the time they had, like, I think, I don't know if the Fairness Doctrine was enacted then, where he would have Travis Walton on, but then he would also have to have Philip Glass on as well, who was a very, you know, a big uh, opponent of the E.T. narrative.
1: Well, I think it's important to have opponents of the E.T. narrative or, or any you know, different version of it. Um, because we have to keep ourselves in check, and that's mm-hmm. why we do peer reviews. And when you're doing college level paperwork, uh, particularly a doctoral thesis type deals, you know you've got to have other people check your work and yeah. find the holes in your work. And if you find those holes, then you can figure out how to plug those holes up with real facts, or say, "Hey, we may need to go back to the drawing board." So without having that other side there to keep us in check, then we're just kind of like in an echo chamber.
0: Yeah, I, I do see that that often happens sometimes is with the, the echo chamber. And, you know, I'm I'm okay with, like, healthy debate, but we've gotten to the point now. And I think it's a failure of our school system that we've, yes. and our culture, that we failed debating. We cannot debate anymore. There's no more debate clubs. We don't know how to have a fair debate. It's not just, uh, it's just, it's just everything is,
1: you know, everyone keeps everything so close to their chest and they take everything so personally. Well, unfortunately, a lot of that has to do with the polarization of our politics. And that even mm-hmm. goes into the alien realm, because at the end of the day... There's actually, you know, you've got the left and right paradigm, mm-hmm. but what I've learned is those on the left aren't necessarily the communists or the socialists. Mm-hmm. There are those on the left that if I sit down with them and I can have an honest conversation about a topic, you know, what are you worried about? What are your fears as a, as a democrat? Mm-hmm. And if they're honest with, me, honest with me about what those fears are, then we can sit down and we can discuss and figure out how to overcome those fears and meet their needs in society. As well as protecting the needs of those on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. But when you start dealing with people that are, they have hidden agendas, they've got their own personal motivations, could be cash, could be power, could be whatever, mm. they're going to hijack that agenda for whatever reason in order to continue to fill their pockets or keep that power. Yeah. And that's where we lose out. Yeah, because I hear there's a lot of like, a lot of the issues are just one issue voters, where because of that one issue, that's gonna, that's gonna shift their entire paradigm on everything. Right, and that's what hurts us right now. Yeah. There's right. no room for a uh, real negotiation. But again, it comes down to, when I'm dealing with somebody who has a hidden agenda, mm. whatever that is, they're less likely to come to a rational compromise on a particular subject. Mm. I've met communists, um, or commerce-leaning people or social-leaning people in places like the Philippines. They've got a huge, I'm not going to say a problem, but a mindset of that there. But whenever I'd sit down with them and talk, we'd always come up with an agreement. Not that it mattered, but it was just two people talking. Hmm. But we saw each other's point of view. The key is your hidden agenda. What are you really after? Without knowing that, you've got nothing. Yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. So let's go ahead and take this into um – Ancient Aliens. Okay. Ancient Aliens is a very popular program. Absolutely. And I know that a lot of people like to, to poo-poo on it because they, they try to wrap it up in the veil of racism because they're saying that, that, you know, if brown people didn't make it, it had to have been aliens. But the thing is, they say that about everything. Right. They say that about, uh, what is it?
1: Stonehenge
0: and, and all that stuff.
1: Again, done. that's the politicization.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for them to set, uh, bring it into the Atherian tales yeah. if they haven't already. And oh, Mordred was a hybrid,
1: you know. <laughs> that could be the case, you know, you know. If you start talking about the Nephilim, yeah. you know, the fallen angels and the Rephaim, then you're talking about those things. And mm-hmm. we're starting to kind of diverge a little bit more to the spiritual or the Christian realm. Are we ready to go there yet? Uh, not quite yet. I'd like to settle the first questions first. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you? Where are you from? Show us what you got publicly. Then we can start to figure out, okay, where are they really from? Mm -hmm. Assuming that 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 is a thing. Mm -hmm. Now with ancient aliens, you know, when you got a guy like George Sukalos, when he does his hair up all puffy like that, you know, as soon as people see him, they think, okay, here's the mad scientist. But that's all part of the gimmick. That's part of the show. Um, that feeds into the, the, the feel. Where the regular guy, you know, all the other guys like Corey Good and and the others, and they just look like normal guys talking, scientists. And so that gives more of that legitimacy to the show. But they all work together. They do a really good job of bringing these things out and saying, hey, look, there might have been something more going on here. Hmm. So in that regard, they should be given a lot of credit because these are things that people would have never known about. I've learned a lot just from watching the show, even though I've already had my own encounters. Hmm. And so I think the show is very valuable in educating the American public to where back in those days when people I knew that first started watching it thought they were just a bunch of crackpots. Hmm. Now their mindset has completely shifted saying, yeah, I am actually very willing to entertain the thought that there might be something else out there. These ancient alien guys have actually shown me quite a bit of information that I would have never gotten anyplace else. So I personally believe that the ancient aliens show was actually a tool used or created by the government through third parties in order to help spoon feed this information out to the public. Because here we are, how many episodes later or series later and they're still very popular and they're still very relevant. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is pretty good. They they do have a
0: really a really formidable powerhouse out there. I mean, when I went to AlienCon, it was it was rushed with people. I mean, there were so many people there that they couldn't even get them into all of the panels. They had to actually you know, I mean it's just a lot of people were complaining that they couldn't get into panels and these were like
1: 500,000-seat uh, maxed panels. Right. Well, that just shows you how serious people have started to take this topic. They're just not ignoring it anymore. You've also got the um, the millennial types and you've got some of the X-gens. I would say it really start with the X-generation of, of pushing this narrative, and that's the generation that I fall in. Fortunately, one of the good things about the millennials is they're more open-minded. Uh, they're more willing to receive new ideas. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I think that's going to help. And that's what we need as a whole. As a society to make it easier for the power brokers to get more of that information out.
0: Hmm. All right. Let's go ahead and do you want to get into, um, the A tip and, and stuff like that? And,
1: and Yeah. Yeah. So December of 2017, I saw the video of the gun camera, the gun mm-hmm. camera video of the F-18s flying around and I know that type of sensor. I've worked with that type of sensor when I was in the Air Force and as a civilian. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I saw the the metadata, some of the metadata was blocked out, I knew what we were dealing with. And it looked exactly like I would expect it to see if I was chasing something that wasn't of terrestrial origin. Mm -hmm. And so then and there, that just supported what I remember seeing as an active duty Air Force guy. Mm -hmm. And so – Okay, so I was like, obviously this didn't come out on accident. They say it did. They said it was not supposed to come out, but there are no accidents with that kind of information. Nobody accidentally releases a gunship, uh, an F-18 gun camera video of an, uh, of an alien spaceship. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Yeah. So I knew immediately that, okay, they're getting us ready. They're now starting to get into the real disclosure process. Um, and that was the first step. And the other reason why I knew that this was um, the real deal was because now we're talking about the AATIP, the Advanced Aircraft Identification Program. Threat identification program, which it turns out Bigelow may have had a part of that program. Hmm. Um, and then they've got the connection to, um, to the one, uh, Blink 182 guy. Yeah. Who uh, was Tom also Tom Delange. Tom Delange. That's right. Yeah. So now you've got all these guys working together to use notable figures that everybody is aware of, like Tom Delange, especially the younger crowd hmm. to get this message out because they're more likely to listen to him and he knows how to work with an audience. But apparently he also knows how to work with the government as well. Hmm. And so it seems that there is a deal that's been worked out. So now let's go to that well, actual TV the, show. At least his pocketbook does. I don't know if he does. Because seeing him on the Joe
0: Rogan experience, I'm thinking, how did anyone get anywhere with this guy? I I don't know. I just I that that interview probably just left a bad impression on me. Right. And I know that I'm from the generation that I'm supposed to be Gaga over this guy. Right. But I didn't grow up listening to Blink one eighty two. I mean I mean, if they brought up someone like Bjork or Tori Amos to, to talk about
1: UFOs, I'd be all over that. Well, in this case, you know. <laughs> but this guy wasn't my guy. Right. I, I get that. And But it is what it is. And that's what they got to work with, however, however, however that deal got made. Um, but, you know, when you listen to some of their music, it, they made it clear that they believed that there was something going on out there. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably a good springboard for them to say, hey, look, we're aware of what's going on. We're not afraid to talk about it. We've already done it in our songs. Work with us. Let's see what we can make. Let's see what we can make happen. So that TV show comes up uh, as part of his group that involved those F-18, the actual pilots that were involved. These were active duty pilots. There's no way they would have been on that show if they weren't given permission to be on that show. Mm. They were cleared. Mm. And so knowing that they were cleared to be on that show and nothing bad happened to them tells me that the government wanted that to take place. Mm. So again, this was a willful effort on the part of elements within the, uh, the that community to start getting this information out. For them to kind of jump like that. Remember, this all ties into Trump's Space Force. Mm. This is all tied together. So if you follow it, there's kind of a drumbeat of information coming out now. You know, thump every couple of months, thump more. And there's more and there's more and there's more. You've got members of NASA saying things, indicating that there are um, – they firmly believe that there's life out there as well. And so this drumbeat is starting to pick up. So we're really not that far off before I think we see something significant that can't be ignored anymore. Mm.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that the Space Force has gotten a bit of uh, egg on its face, unfortunately, because of because of how uh, new media just hates Trump so much. And somehow that tarnishes that organization. I don't see how that works, but that doesn't mean that that narrative isn't going to be pushed. And the thing is, the Space Force stuff, I mean, before that, it was Star Command. And right. That stuff has been around since the 1980s. This is just an official title. Before that, I think it was Space like, Command. Yeah, I think it was acting under um, the, it was either under the Air Force, I believe. Yes, and this is—it's technically nothing new. It's—it's—it's it's, it's an official title, but as far as the responsibilities and stuff like that, you know, they've sort of been doing this stuff for a while, and I kind of feel like it's a bit unfair All right, that so they
1: get. You know, egged. We have to, we have to look at, again, that's that's the, that's the politic part. There's nothing we can do about that. They're going to get past it. Politics aren't forever. Still makes me sour. You know, and and as it should, it should make everybody sour that they're going to use politics, but it just is what it is. Mm. But now if we go back to this, the difference in this case is they're creating a completely new component of the military.
0: Mm. That's their
1: eventual goal. Okay. So it's just like back in the Air Force was created out of the Army. Uh, during uh, after the nineteen after the World War II, yeah, you know, you had the Army Air Force, and then they basically they had a legitimate argument in Congress and said, look, we need to pull these apart, pull them separate, so the air power can develop itself better. Because if they're forced to stay under the Army, they're never going to get the dollar value that they need to do their job. And we've already proven the effectiveness of air power when properly funded and trained and equipped in supporting the ground troops. Okay, and so that was the lesson that was learned, and they broke away and they did that. Or well, we're doing that now with Space Force. If you allow the Air Force, which is primarily big, pretty fighter jets, to have complete control of the budget, they're never going to give Space Command what they need to be able to function properly and to address new threats in the future. There needs to be a level of autonomy between the two. And so that's part of what the Space Force was designed to do, is to start creating that whole new branch. There will be a complete split if there hasn't really technically been already. Okay. And what you're going to start seeing right now is they're poaching from other groups in order to create their cadres. Like I would be pulled out of regular Air Force and I was pulled into to special operations. So what they're doing is they're reaching into the Army, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, Navy particularly and the Air Force and they're going to start pulling these people into this new group. And then once they get their groups established and create their training cadres, they're going to start training and recruiting within their own organization, just like every other service.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So what big shiny pretty thing is Space Force going to get? Money. Um, I mean initially they need money before they can do everything, but rumor has it they've already got a lot of toys out there. And if you follow a lot of the uh, UFO lore that's going on right now, um, there is uh, what we refer to as the TR3 series trans transatmospheric wow. asset.
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit about that
1: toy. All right, so basically, using anti-grav technology and some other technologies, they've developed a way to fly aircraft like UFOs without crushing the occupants through G-forces and whatever else. Hmm. Um, theoretically, these assets can go out to the moon within a couple of minutes. To well, I think they said somebody said twenty minutes, then get to the moon and back in one of these aircraft. Now, what from I've seen is what we would call the TR3A, the TR3B, and the TR3C. Lately. The photos that I've been seeing coming out looks like that tier, what I would call a TR-3C. Any flight control services that I see on it looks like it gives it more of an advantage of operating in our atmosphere and not just in space. But again, until we get our hands on these things, like can physically touch them and walk around and, and examine them, we won't know for sure what we're dealing with. Because again, they're still playing cloak and dagger with it. What I do see happening is like what they did with the F-117. They, they started showing it a little bit more. A little bit more. And eventually they said, okay, the F-117 exists. I think in this case, they're going to do the same thing with the TR3A because they're never going to show us the latest and greatest. We're never going to see the actual C. Hmm. But they will show us the A because it's the older technology. And even then, they're not going to tell us everything that it does. They're going to sugarcoat its capabilities. Hmm. But they do have to – we're at the point now, dealing especially when dealing with the Chinese, that we have to show that we have something that's advanced. Now, they're not going to do it immediately because it would be too convenient to before the election to go, hey, look – this is what we have, you know. They say, "Oh, you're just pandering to the voters," blah, blah, blah. And you've known about it all along. Hmm. It would backfire. So, what I personally see is, even though those in my community are saying that they expect to see something released this month or next month regarding a disclosure or a tier three, I don't see that happening until after the election.
0: Hmm. All right. The the thing is with uh, with the advanced aircraft. I mean,
1: even the SR
0: seventy one when that was as popular, you know, I'm I'm still learning new stuff about that about how the wings and stuff would change shape and stuff like that. And and it's 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 weird and I wonder what stuff we're gonna keep learning about these new craft that we didn't even know even craft could do or that were capable or were a factor in whatever
1: flight that it does. I think we are so far ahead of where people think we are it's just amazing because when I was in J. Rossi back in high school, mm-hmm. um we were like every couple days we were given courses on advanced technologies, advanced engine propulsion systems, and where we should be. Like based on the charts that I'd seen, we should be flying races out to like Jupiter and back on, you know, especially modified star type craft. And here we are at that time frame where we should have already been doing that kind of stuff and we're nowhere. We've essentially stagnated completely. But knowing how our government works, in my mind, there's no way we actually stagnated on the surface. I know that we still have many things going on and very advanced things going on because we're always going to be 10, 15... 20 years ahead, minimum of our adversaries. We're always going to strive for that. Mm -hmm. That's just how it is. So if I'm working with regular Air Force, I'm just going to see regular garbage. Then I go to special operations and I see the next level up. But then when I start working with, say, OGA's, other government agencies, I'll see technology that's at least five years ahead of what I'm working with in special operations. And then if you go beyond the OGA's, you're probably looking at something five more years ahead. Mm -hmm. So our technology that we have is always going to be more advanced than what we realize it is. That is interesting. Let's go ahead and wrap it up and
0: tell us about your YouTube channel and what it is that you have going because you just started that up recently.
1: Right. Just started a new YouTube channel. The name is Team Brave New World. What we're trying to do is um, stay away from the politics specifically and focus more on world events and your everyday world events that people do need to know about that seem to get kind of glossed over by the daily news, whether it's CNN or um, Fox. I'm trying to stay away from the political aspect of it and just give you the facts like they used to do in the old days. Hmm. Uh, another part of the channel is bringing out information that people don't like to talk about, period. Things that make people feel uncomfortable. And that's where we talk about UFO topics, aliens, meteor showers, Nibiru, X, all that bizarre stuff. That's the place for people to go to when they want to learn more about it. But learn hmm. from not just a bunch of kooks, but people that actually have something to do with it or have degrees that can back up what they're saying.
0: Hmm. One of the things that I've noticed is that um, what a lot of people like to complain about is that you know they, they don't hear that much from like a, a world view of stuff like that and of course they'll, they'll make superficial compl- complaints but what it is is that our scope the uh english-speaking american north american scope is usually limited to our own media that we don't have a right. uh, perspective of like of Just stuff that's out there. I know that in my own studying there, you know, there's like, there's Spanish language media, there, there's Japanese and, and, you know, um, other medias and stuff like that. And and I love learning when I do my digs, when I dig into like other cultures just to learn about their monsters, myths and cryptids. Yes. I learn so much about the culture and they still have ongoing stuff like that. You know, it didn't stop there. They're still learning and talking about, you know, some of these issues. And it's fascinating to get that you know, uh, I guess, dare I say, non-white male perspective right. on, on stuff. So anything that you can bring from a global scale, I definitely welcome that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was doing my time with the uh, as a contractor, I'd do two months on duty working against ISIS or working against the Taliban, and then I would have two months completely off. And during those two months off, the wife and I would go travel Asia, and we'd go visit these places like Ayutthaya and Sim um, and Reap in uh, Cambodia, Mm -hmm. And we would look at these ruins and look at the art and look at the the stories that they're trying to tell. And it became very clear to me that, okay, there is clearly something going on before what would be considered normal humankind. Mm -hmm. And we look at the Bible perspective of things with the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims. There was a lot going on far before that stuff took place. Mm -hmm. And that's what these murals and these writings were teaching us about. So if you ever get a chance to travel and go to places like Cambodia and Thailand and China... And really pay attention to what they're trying to tell us. It's clear there's a much bigger history that we're not being told here in the West for whatever agenda. When you talk to an Indian on the street and the Indian, and you talk about aliens, he's like, well, where have you guys been at? You know, glad you could join us. You know, they've been, they've been totally talking about this stuff for thousands of years. And here we are, Johnny Come Lately, the baddest nation on the planet, and we seem to not know anything about it at all. And, and it baffles them as to why we we are like that. Yeah. Is there anything out there
0: that you learned about while you were out on your travels that you can talk about? Give us like a taste. Um, In what regard? In like like either it'd be like a myth, like a like a some type of uh, creature from from myth, because I know in the Philippines they have the Mananagao. Yes. And I oh, that is my favorite.
1: Um, well, the Philippines is littered with lots of different creatures and everything. Oh, uh, there's more. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, give me give me one more. Just just end us on that. Just yeah. give us one more story. Shokoi, uh, Shokoi uh, is like a, a seaman creature. Hmm. Um. And there's some. You might be able to uh, Google it and see some more. It's, it's basically it's like a seaman. And then you've got the white lady. And I've actually seen the white lady. Really crazy stuff. Hmm. Um. And that's one thing I've learned about my travels is when you start getting into the spiritual component, when you go to places like Germany or you go to Japan or you go to uh, the Philippines. Okinawa, where there was a high death rate through, through you know like all the samurai fighting and through the World War II, you tend to see more supernatural activity. Hmm. And you know, I used to think I was one of those guys that would never see a ghost or anything like that. But by the time I got old and if I started seeing a lot of that stuff, I'm like, oh, okay. And you just get used to it after a while. Like it's no big deal. Now I'm not like Chris Garcia or others, where they may see things like all the time. I'm not hmm. like that. I have to be in a very relaxed state not really paying attention to anything at all, almost a meditative state, and then it will pop up. But that's a whole new podcast right there. (laughs) But the point is, is it, if you pay attention to the world around you and you get the chance to travel and dig into the culture, just like you have, you're going to learn a lot more about the world and you're going to find that children that have had that opportunity to travel and to really dig into the cultures firsthand, Mm -hmm. actually are more able to handle New discoveries and new things than kids that are stuck at home all day long, and all they do is play video games and look at boobies on TV. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That, that is that is fun. It's yeah. Thank you again for coming on. It was great for you to share this. I'll definitely be paying attention
1: to your channel, and I hope that everyone else does as well. If you guys go into the channel and you uh, want to learn more about certain topics, by all means, go into uh, the comments and uh, tell us when you hear more about, and I'll have the team uh, get on it. All right. Thank you, and thank you again, and good night.
0: God bless.